Assalamu alaikum, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all and thank you very much for joining us and staying with us throughout the day and the morning, early morning and carrying on till 10 o'clock today where we will be presenting you the Saturday morning live with the Generation X uh, team, myself Hanif and Adil, but Adil we're missing a third aren't we? The, the, good morning, everyone. Uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, yes, the, the, as they say, the, th- the third leg of the stool. Uh, I'm sure he's listening to us. Uh, get well soon, Kayum. Uh, I know you've got the man flu, so um, you know. Um, I hope you, hope we can uh, have you back in the studio soon. Uh, awesome. All right. Yeah. So we've got such a packed show this morning. We want to cover. Obviously, the papers, the news, but obviously it will be led predominantly by the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. And then we also want to talk to people on the ground uh, through one of our NGOs that is out there working. And then we want to talk about this subject of diversity, inclusion, not only in the workplace, but at, maybe at school, maybe with your friends, maybe just having a conversation and seeing someone. And we don't like being put into boxes But actually, we're all the same. You know, you can have a situation where you might have been put in the box as being from an ethnic minority group. But you probably are one of very similar to someone who likes coffee, who someone likes uh, fast food or is always late. You're the same. Doesn't matter who you are, right? So that's the kind of topics we want to talk about. And obviously, we're seeing a rise in school with racism. And what is that? Is that inclusion? So we'll get into that in the second hour. But we've got some really exciting guests also in the first hour where we'll be talking to Yusuf Afdab, who is the director of Humanity First. And then also we'll be, if we can get his time, because he's on in Turkey at the epicenter of where the disaster took place, the volunteer for Humanity First, Bashir Khan. Uh, so just before we get into all of that, stay with us for the next two hours and then our, at the end we'll finish off with some sports which Adil knows so much about. I'm just really in awe with his knowledge of football, Formula One and everything else. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I try and stay away from football but uh, only when it's Watford and Liverpool. But yeah. um, but yes, you know we'll see we'll see what the papers say about uh, Formula One and the season's about to 
kick off in March. So um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about sports as well. Yeah. Okay. So well, thank you very much again. So if you find anything that's interests you, you want to call in, definitely give us a a shout out on our social media platforms, the Voice of Islam UK, and obviously you can call in the normal way on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. And also, if you want to share um, an experience or your family members are in Turkey and they can shed some light or you've had some real sad news uh, we are all in complete shock here especially here on the radio station we've covered this subject in in detail and we are horrified by the scenes that we're seeing and all we can pray to God Almighty to find peace and security for those who are there in the in the in the areas of where the earthquake has hit all the way across the fault line in Turkey and Syria and we're seeing aid arrive there so we'll talk about that in more detail so I don't what, what's kind of um, got you round not round or interested in this week with the news so uh, a lot of things are happening I mean first and foremost it's uh, my thoughts and prayers are for all of those um, who have been affected by the earthquake yeah. uh, in Turkey and Syria and um, and as you said there are a lot of um, NGOs that are on the ground today which is great news. Um, I was watching a clip from um, the Khalsa organization and they yeah. were unpacking hundreds of blankets. And uh, also we have uh, Humanity First on the ground as well um, uh, from all parts of, of Europe. So uh, are descending on, on, on Turkey and Syria to help on the ground as, as much as they can and the support that they can provide to the people. So I just wanted to say that in terms of um, the news... You know, it's 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 all over when you when you look at um, Turkey. But I think more closer to home, yeah. I think there have been talks about um, the energy crisis and how um, the bills that have been hiked uh, in, in a national act of, of of harm, basically. So Martin Lewis, who is the founder of of Money Saving Expert, yeah. is basically saying that. Um, the, the plan to axe the price cap is going to be devastating. Um, one of the things that I, I read was that, uh, you know, we have already reached a point of the price of buying the um, the energy, whether it's gas or electricity, is at the same level as when it was before the war started. So why is it that we're still paying those extortionate prices today and i think this is where you know martin lewis is coming in and 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 raising this fact that something needs to be done immediately yeah. those prices need to go back to what they were before the war otherwise we're just you know we're we're paying extortionate prices which you know people cannot afford today no you're right and also this alarming fact that why do we not have gas reserves i mean many people um when they started depleting our gas reserves used to say that oh yeah we've got access to the gas that comes from russia uh, so we can use that and we don't need our reserves so we got rid of our reserves and now we're having to rely on other forms of importing our gas that is not from russia obviously but 
Europe as a whole has managed to survive, but actually we are still looking to try and find our resources and it's affecting our prices. You have seen some of the oil prices um, which have affected when you go and fill up your car. You can see that it has come down, not to those ridiculous levels that we saw previously of nearly £2 per litre. Now it's come down to an average of about £1.50, yeah. which uh, which which uh, it was there at that time. But yeah, no, you're right. And it's affecting everyone. So... This cost of living not only is the energy prices, and you know we've also got this whole thing with prepaid meters that are being forced by some of the providers that are putting together a situation where they are creating such a uh, like a holding people ransom to. Mm. The energy where the meter runs out, you put in the money for the meter. Then you also, if you need some emergency payment for that meter, you then are charged an additional amount for having that emergency meet, uh, pay, uh, extra allowance. And it just goes on and on, and it's horrendous. So there is now an APPG set up by a Scottish MP, which I forget her name just now, that is now looking at um, this prepaid meters which is affecting hundreds of thousands of people in the united kingdom and these companies that are forcing prepaid meters into people's homes and and forcing themselves in is a blight on our society the way we are it doesn't happen for water you can a water company cannot turn off the water if you haven't paid but why is it any different for electricity and i'm sure now as policies and people are now waking up because this campaign has not gone away and it's not going to go away until people realise what is happening to people. You've got people at home who are on, say, ventilators uh, who need to have constant oxygen going. You've got people who uh, need the energy, the electricity to sustain their life. Imagine people who have not got hot water, who definitely need hot water, an elderly person who needs hot water, and their meter runs out, and what do they do? They can't necessarily run out and go and get a prepaid meter or order it um, and for it to come in, because it, it's, it's all going wrong. This system of prepaid meters is something that watch this space, it's going to really get more and more in the news uh, but at the moment we've got the situation in Turkey which is covering so that prepaid stuff is really no bad. absolutely mm. I mean the, the the other news that we have um, from from the financial sector is that you know there's there's news that greedy banks blasted over savings rate um, there's been anger uh, anger's been growing at, um, at, at banks refusal to pass on higher interest rates to savers. Now, this is another issue that we have. We're now at 4%. Yeah. So if you look at the savings um, the rates today, they don't even come close to uh, what they should be. So they're you know, they being accused of uh, shoddy behavior towards millions of customers by offering rock-bottom uh, rewards um, that are a little better than a joke. This is yeah. something that's coming from um, one of the one of the news articles. And I think at the same time, if you look at how banks and mortgage companies are uh, treating customers on the other end of the spectrum, because millions will be coming off their fixed rates, for example, yes. and the fact that 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 um, is n- and and you then see the extreme of the interest rates being charged to the customers, right? So it's just, you know, at the end of the day, we, we end up paying for this regardless. And somebody has to be held accountable uh, for this. And this is what um, several news articles are um, 
are, are referring to. Now, in another news as well, which yeah. is more of an impact for businesses, um, there, there was news that um, AstraZeneca decided to snub UK and moved its um, factories to um, to Ireland. Yes. And this is because of this discouraging level of taxation. So, um, again, this is uh, another another hit to, to us if this really happens. We're talking about, um, you know, almost £330 million worth of investment moving away from the United Kingdom, which, um, you know, which would definitely be affecting, you know, jobs, etc. going forward. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the economy is crippling, isn't it? And when you look at these high inflation rates that are nearly now 10%, and it's why it was caused and what we did and what the Bank of England needed to do to save it and this 4% interest rate. But it's going up and up. As you say, if we remember back in the day, uh, after 2010, what we used to, uh, 0.25% on the interest rate. And people were encouraged to spend money, weren't they? They were encouraged to, don't worry, spend the money on everything you need to spend money on, buy lots of houses and in, invest in that way, which became, now we're seeing, is is, is created a, a, a big challenge in what we're seeing today. And also, who what happened? The rich got richer in this scenario and the poorer got poorer. And, and, and there we have it now. We're, we're suffering from it today. Although uh, in the news uh, a couple of days ago, we had the uh, Chancellor um, Jeremy Hunt saying that uh, we've avoided a recession. But actually, uh, it's nothing really to be um, great about because what we've been seeing um, across Europe, we still are in negative. We're even not doing as good our growth than Russia that's got all these sanctions going on. And why is that? I mean, it really is creating a big problem for us. And uh, so it's really difficult. The, the other thing I wanted to notice, you know, you mentioned earlier about the situation with the cost of living where we're now seeing reports of students who are now resorting to food banks uh, because of the cost of crisis is really affecting them and and there was this study uh, at this um, university that showed that there are more uh, concerns about people not uh, eating well they are now turning towards uh, food banks but also in relation to that as well we're having um, doctors showing a lot of concerns over the rise of malnutrition so all these things are um, affecting um, all, all of us in a way but what I wanted to just mention one small thing in relation to all of this we've recently had the new Tory party chair uh, Greg Hans uh, who is who's come through taken over um, uh, Zahawi, who was the previous one. And some of the things that he's been talking about is that, you know, we can have a meal for 30 pence. I mean, why are people having to go to a food bank? What, why do people need to do that? Why are nurses and doctors who are on, say, £35,000 plus a year uh, salary having to go to food banks where we can demonstrate that you can live on 30p for food? I mean, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that because, OK, maybe you can cook some food at 30p and maybe you can have a staple diet. Maybe you can have beans on toast every day for the rest of your life. Is, is that what we're asking our society to do? This is why the doctors are now concerned about malnutrition. Where are we headed when we hear these type of things? I mean, I'm, I'm, 
a little taken aback by by what you've just said. It's um, to ask nobody in their right mind would be uh, willing to go to a, a food bank uh, if they didn't need it, right? You'll be you'll be usurping the rights of the other person yeah. who needs it more. So to actually say that you know you can you can live on on thirty p a day, I'd like to I'd like to see them try how they do that. Um, it's uh, it's that the fact that we're paying, I, I would say, almost thirty percent of our earnings on average on uh, electricity and gas, yeah. and then we're paying another thirty to forty percent on food, and then the rest of it is on rent, for example, or and what so what's left, right? Not a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, so again, prove it. Let's have a look. You know, how would you do that? How would you dem- how would you actually live on thirty p a day? And what kind of what kind of quality of food are we talking about so as well? Th- that's at the, the end thing. Of the day. Although, yes, if if people were in a situation where they needed to do that, fine. But that I don't know how long that can be sustained for. There are ways of cooking food much more cost effectively. Yes, let's have that discussion and let's get someone on. If someone has a great idea listening in who who can cook food and give a really good example and cook it quickly as well that won't cost much money at all, then yeah, let, let's have that conversation. I, I would be really interested to know because it is a good discussion to have and to guide people not to always have to buy meat for example meat has become extremely expensive i mean also now the the staple food like potatoes cauliflower all these basic stuff which you feel you want to be healthy with is now costing a lot of money yeah i mean pasta pasta has gone up it's trebled in price oil has i would say for sure trebled in price um all those basic things that you took for granted eggs you're right the price has shut up so it's um on, on the one hand uh, you know it's it's uh, it's something that the government really needs to act quite swiftly on the on the uh, energy utility perspective but also on the other hand we really need to help those uh that are in greater need so the food banks i think have now become a necessity but i would urge the government to seriously think about how to get rid of these food banks and how to get rid of them is to start to provide the right support for the people. Uh, because it shouldn't be there in the first place, right? This was supposed to be a temporary uh, stopgap. I mean, and, that, that's with everything, isn't yeah, it? When, and, when you, yeah. And, we'll, we'll, and, when, and Yusuf Aftab, who's, um, who's the director of Manti First UK, will be talking to him about what Manti First are doing within the UK itself with the number of food banks that have been opened uh, as well. So we'll be getting to, it'd be good to get some insight, especially, you know, we, we've seen something happen starting around about five years ago, especially with the pandemic. And now we're coming out of the pandemic, what's happening now with the energy crisis, et cetera. So it'd be really good to, um, uh, good to get some, uh, some thoughts on that as well. Yeah. And, and I, and I really um, understand exactly what you're talking about. And yeah, guys, just, just, just get in, and, and let us know. I mean, there's been some other clashes with asylum seekers at, at a hotel and uh, in Merseyside where the situation suddenly just went um, completely out of control where uh, there was uh, 
people that were arrested on suspicion of violent disorder following clashes outside a Merseyside hotel that was providing refuge for asylum seekers. Again, it's all in the news and it's um, it sounds to me it's a bit vindictive, but actually some of the people who have been living in those hotels have been there for six months have, have actually not really left their house. But some And many people saying, well, the area there is very welcoming and very nice, but, you know, what, Merseyside please want to know what, what sparked it and uh, it was like one person was saying that it was a scene like a, a war zone and Merseyside police said that missiles were thrown at officers and riot police were called. Uh, but luckily there were no injuries. And the hotel had been previously uh, named as an accommodation where asylum seekers had been housed and it was really important that the the, the actual a situation was initially peaceful, but it, it just grew violent and it was leading for officers to be uh, called. So anyway, the the, the MP who's there, um, Knowsley MP Sir George Howarth, called for calm, saying that, you know, I've referred an uh, alleged incident posted on social media, which has triggered a demonstration outside the Suez hotel to Merseyside police so until the police have investigated the matter it's too soon to jump to any conclusions so that was something that's quite alarming again you know it's just outside an area where our refugees are yeah absolutely and uh, I hope things have, have, have come down, calmed down a bit and um, you know, I hope everybody's safe and secure so I just wanted to touch on one more point yeah which is um, a bit sci-fi um, and this has been in the news for the last day or so, where a high-altitude object shot down uh, off the coast of Alaska. So, yeah. um, you know, President Joe Biden had ordered a fighter jet to shoot down an unidentified high-altitude object. I, I love these words, right? So there's like UFO. <laughs> so, again, they're saying that it was the size of a small car and posed a reasonable threat to civilian aviation. So... Uh, I'm not sure, um, and it's, it was at an uh, at a at an altitude of forty thousand feet, yeah, correct, which yeah. is you know okay. So tell us what it was. Yeah. Um, but again, it goes back to what uh, the weather balloon that was shot down as well. Um, yeah. So the thing with the difference between the weather balloon and this object is the altitude at which it was traveling, because the the balloon was much higher, which doesn't really go into the airspace as to where the civil aviation mm. is. And that's at about, most aircrafts are about 35,000 to 40,000 feet in, in the air. So hence why they use that term, you know, it's going to uh, affect the the civil uh, aviation industry. But the balloon was a much larger size and it was obviously doing some surveillance according to the uh, intelligence of the USA. But yeah, uh, it's a very interesting we're seeing more of this I mean what is there over Alaska and I wonder what that object actually was mm. I'd be really interested yep. to know absolutely okay so um, I think we're gonna uh, we're gonna be joining by um, Yusuf uh, pretty shortly and as we said um, we we um, we talked about the the briefly the, the work that Humanity First uh, have been doing and we're gonna get some more information on that um, do we um yeah, absolutely. We should. I think we should go for a, a, a short break, and then we'll get um, 
Yusuf on and we'll start the next Yeah, let's do that. Let's just take a quick short break and stay with us as we give you uh, breaking news uh, of the situation happening at the epicentre in Turkey and Syria uh, as we talk to our guests over there will talk to Yusuf Abtab and then we'll also talk to Bashid Khan who's a volunteer uh, there in Turkey at the moment so please stay with us and we'll shortly after this short break that to obey the Holy Prophet may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him with a sincere heart and to love him ultimately makes a person beloved of God God creates in his heart a burning for his own love and such a one withdrawing his heart from everything else leans towards God, and his affection and desire remain only for God Almighty. Thereupon, a special manifestation of divine love falls upon him, and bestowing upon him the full colour of love and devotion, pulls him towards itself with great force. He then overcomes his passions, and from every direction, extraordinary works of God Almighty appear as signs in his support and to help him. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back after that short break. And yes, we're just getting our ducks in order to be able to introduce our guests who are joining us. And actually, you know, you're all been listening to what's been going on in Turkey and Syria and you're getting so many different views of all the NGOs and everyone around the world that are offering support. But actually, we thought we'll talk to some of the people that we know uh, personally who are working on the ground and coordinating efforts in this devastating earthquake two in fact of 7.8 and 7.9 um, Richter scale which have killed now nearly 25,000 people and I'm sure if you look at it of every one person that comes out after 115 people as a survivor there are hundreds more who are probably or thousands more dead so it, it is very heart-rendering and it's really sad so uh i don't uh, let's yep. let's talk to yusuf who's uh, yusuf adab who's the director absolutely so so yusuf hopefully you can you can hear us are you on the show yeah, so I'm going, ma'am. How are you doing? Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Thank you for joining the show, Yusuf. So, um, Yusuf, can you please introduce yourself? Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get on to the show. Yeah, so I uh, volunteer for an organization called Humanity First. Uh, Humanity First uh, International um, has uh, uh, 63 chapters across the globe in, in very different uh uh, continents. Uh, it's been going on since 1995. Um, started off as a predominantly in disaster relief activities, which many other NGOs do, but um, has evolved in terms of helping with um, developed programs, education, um, infrastructure needs, etc. So there's a plethora of things that Humanity First does as an organization and i'd recommend you know your listeners to go across to the website have a look in terms of what we do as an organization and in particular um you know i'm, I'm the, one of the directors for humanity first uk and there's lots of work that we do within the uk and also countries that we look outside of the uk as well thank you and and you've been with humanity first for i think almost 18 years now um so and and obviously been to a number of of disasters, including um, uh, Nepal. Um, could you share some of your experiences of uh, what you know devastation 
can one expect, especially if you've never uh, experienced an earthquake before, um, when you've not experienced devastation at that scale, when you know thousands of people yeah. have lost their lives. Could you share some of your thoughts and experiences of, of your visit to Nepal and other areas that you've helped? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, area to area, country to country can be quite di- uh, different in, in terms of things. But uh, what you what you generally see is that depending on the uh, local infrastructure and some of these countries, you know, will be in a developing um, state in, in terms of, you know, from a housing, general environmentally and, and um, other infrastructure that they have in place. So, you know, from healthcare facilities, um, from utilities, etc. that they have. So the experiences from places like Nepal, Iraq, and so forth, yeah. where, where there's been devastation, whether it's conflict, crisis, but when we, in, when we specifically look at earthquakes, um, you know, you, you have the earthquake, and depending on the magnitude of the earthquake and, and how, the depth of it in terms of high impacts, um, you will see a huge amount of devastation to the localities and the infrastructure within that country. So in in uh, Nepal, unfortunately, you know, uh, buildings, um, in terms of the standard of the buildings, obviously they come, come down and collapse very, very quickly. People lose their houses. It has a crushing effect um, on the uh, families that are there, uh, people that are um, under the rubble and so forth, and on the general infrastructure. So we take electricity, water, and, and normal common things, amenities that we would, you know, have in developed countries like we're living in the UK, um, if there is disease and, and crisis and famine and those type of things already occurring in these countries, this just adds on to the plight of the people. We saw this firsthand in a lot of these countries. And um, what you generally have is um, a lot of support that will come from international organisations, but the local country itself will have what they term as the resident coordinators that are working with the uh, the Department of the United Nations that, you know, orchestrates and coordinates all these efforts. But in the first sort of, you know, 24 to 72 hours, you have a huge amount of urban search and rescue teams. You know, predominantly that's, that's, that's what they're doing. Yeah. They're assessing the situation. They're, they're trying to save lives and they're trying to get people out as quickly as possible. Because the longer it's left, you know, the chances of survival... I'm not saying people won't survive, but the chances of survival become very difficult. And, and that is agonizing for families and, and people watching worldwide. And, and that's the imp- uh, impact it has. And then from that, it's the assessment around what is the medical need? What are the healthcare needs that are then need to be provided to any of the survivors uh, from the earthquake? Those that are, not, uh, that are impacted by the earthquake um, in terms of mentally and, uh, and socially, in terms of how to house them, because they will be displaced. Yeah. The people that unfortunately have passed away, and then what do you do with the bodies and so forth? So yeah. that, that's sort of the experiences that, that occur. Yeah, it's, just, it's just so devastating the way you describe it. And also, when you talk about the structure of buildings that just completely collapse the visions that we're seeing on the news outlets is just devastating where people were sleeping and i think people around the world recognize how serious 
these two earthquakes were. It's unbelievable. And uh, what we like to do is, if you're okay, uh, you suggest to talk to Bashid, who is your compatriot, uh, and who is on the ground, so you guys work so closely together as well. And just before we bring on Bashid, I, I did you want to ask Yusuf one more thing? Yeah, I think Yusuf, mm. please, please stay on the line, because um, we want to talk more about what's happening in the UK as far as uh, food banks are concerned, because you, talk, you heard us uh, talk about um, the energy crisis and the impact it's having on on people. I want to get your point of view on what uh, Hamanti First has been doing on the ground within the UK, but if, please stay on the line as well. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, no uh, awesome, thanks for that. So, um, I don't, uh, we've got uh, Bashir Khan, who is a volunteer at Hamanti yes. First in Turkey, on air now. Uh, it would be really great to get uh, his, his feedback. Absolutely. So, uh, Bashir, um, uh, welcome to the show. Hope you can hear us. Yeah, I can. How Excellent. Assalamualaikum uh, and peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Uh, thank you, Bashir, for joining. I know you're on the ground. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself first and your team? And uh, we'll then uh, ask you a few questions about what's happening uh, in, in Turkey. Yeah. Yeah, my is Bashir. I'm, I'm, I'm from uh, South London. Uh, I'm a volunteer with, with Humanity First. Um, we're out here as part of an assessment team just to... Uh, first assess what the situation is and see where we can be of, of service and what services we can provide. Humanity First is a uh, charity that's been going uh, since 1995 and uh, our capabilities have steadily uh, increased and improved. So um, earthquakes are something that Humanity First is used to dealing with. They've been active uh, in, in a number of uh, earthquake zones such as um, uh, Kashmir, in 2005, Haiti in, in 2010, yeah. and Nepal in 2015. Uh, and even before that, in 1999, in Turkey, uh, uh, there was an earthquake care. I'm actually with um, two of our colleagues from Humanity First in Turkey. I'm with um, Malik Shah, uh, who is, who is a, a, a young volunteer in, in Turkey. And I'm with one of our senior uh, coordinators in Turkey, uh, uh, Mehmet Ondo, which I know a uh, friend of the show will, will, will know him. Fantastic. And, and thank you so much for spending your precious time with us. And I know that um, you, you have to go as well pretty soon. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you is that you're on the ground. I know that, uh, you know, having volunteered for Humanity First myself and being on the ground uh, in Nepal, you know, the first thing you, you, your heart goes out to the sheer impact and devastation. The, one of the things that I'd experienced was it was just unbelievable experience to see the buildings decimated. Um, you know, what were your first thoughts and experiences of what you saw on the ground? And then secondly, with your team, what have you assessed so far? You've been there for a few days now. I've been, I've been following you on, on, on your social media. So could you just tell us first, really, your experience and what you felt? And secondly, you know, in terms of your assessment, what have you uh, achieved so far? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has seen in the, in the news the devastation and, you know, the absolute, uh, you know, all, all the buildings that have been decimated. But when you come here, the, the thing that, the thing, uh, and I was mentioning it to, to Mr. Ondor just now, the thing that I've noted is actually just the patience and stoicism and forbearance of the Turkish people. There is no, even though you wouldn't know it by looking at the buildings when, when they're decimated, there is no sense of panic or chaos or or, you know, anger. 
I think you know it, that that is the, the, the impression that, that that that's really hit home to me being here. Um, on uh, but yeah, you know it is, it is you know it, it, I think it's, it's an area about eighty percent of the size of Germany that, that's been affected by this earthquake. And you know you go, you go I mean, Mr. Ondor was in uh, a town in the south uh, yesterday. He, he can explain more. But the, the devastation there was was worse than uh, anything um, that, that, that even even I've seen so far. Okay, so so Mr. Ondor, if you can hear us, could you um, share some of your experiences? And welcome to the show. Uh, and thank you for spending uh, time with us this morning. Could you could you share some of your experiences? Obviously, you were there when the earthquake happened, and you know what were the events that took place, you know, immediately afterwards, and how did Humanity First Turkey get into action to start to help uh, the affected? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Yes, um, indeed very devastating um, experience. I mean, you don't understand when it is happening, but uh, one good friend of mine yesterday in the earthquake area, uh, he and his family, alhamdulillah, they made it out. But he says this is the longest 104 seconds ever in my life. I can actually... uh, Empathically, I can I can understand what he's uh, saying, because in 1999 we experienced this, and we know that major earthquake was quite smaller than this, and even compared to one of the earthquakes just took place. And as you know, we had two, and aftershocks are still going on. Yeah, and some areas. Unbelievably, buildings are uh, totally unusable. Um, there, there will be complete uh, new look probably in a few years because so far I know the Turkish government, they act very fast and they, they renovate everything. Renovate means, uh, I mean, rebuild or newly built the site. But uh, as Bashir has mentioned, uh, the most impressive thing is that there is no panic. There is, although we are uh, at the very early days of the incident, uh, there is abundance of material, abundance of help uh, from everywhere from Turkey. And I should also uh, mention this, that uh, the Turkish uh, uh, authorities, they managed to think also quite well. Although here and there, with, with such a big uh, catastrophe, uh, there are also things which fail. But obviously, uh, it is very difficult to be everywhere. Yesterday, in the evening, we were just going through the streets. And you know, it was like a labyrinth, because every time you try to enter one street, then you are blocked by a collapsed building, then you have to change your route. Then we ended up in an environment where both sides of one long street, without any exception, completely demolished. So official figures now show um, over 20,000 yeah. people. I, it is my personal uh, estimate. It, 
would well reach 30,000 maybe. This and, yeah, alone will show the size. And um, just to, uh, and thank you for for sharing your experiences and uh, obviously our thoughts and prayers are going to everyone on the ground and those who have been affected. Um, I just want to come to my, my, my second point and, and Hanif, I'll, I'll, I'll pause to, to, to let you ask some questions, but um, what have you assessed so far uh, you know, since the earthquake has taken place? What have you seen on the ground and where is the greatest need now and what is Humanity First planning to, to do over the next sort of weeks and, and, and months to come? Um, I can also give a short answer, but Bashir would probably add on top of this. Uh, I believe that um, Humanity First right now is, uh, has located itself at certain point where uh, it can provide health services. Because after each such catastrophe, uh, there is also the possibility of an epidemic bursting out. And then uh, emergency health issues also coming uh, very, very often. And then generally people are living in their cars or in the tents. Uh, and we have uh, quite cold days here, especially nights are very cold. Mm. Obviously, uh, such diseases, illnesses are uh, very much uh, occurring, and uh, then children. Obviously, children need special care. So, uh, basically, this is the uh, part where Humanity First seems to be having the better base uh, in terms of providing uh, the needing one the proper treatment where and there uh, probably probably it is not my decision but probably it is a managerial decision that Humanity First will cooperate with other uh, NGOs yeah. but I see that uh, the area is immense, huge and really if somebody wants to make something there is always room here for help although everything is organized no panic, uh, no lack of material, uh, maybe, okay, uh, warm clothing, obviously, blankets, obviously. Tents, the Turkish government has been asking for the last two days if they can get extra tents because this is the demand. You know what they have done? Actually, they have done, taken a decision uh, and gave... Uh, the people of the area, for each city, uh, they opened up the holiday resorts and hotels at the very famous areas. You mm -hmm. may have heard Bodrum, Marmaris, Antalya. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all those hotels, five-star hotels, are in the service of the uh, earthquake victims. Whoever wants to leave the area have a peace of mind, want to really uh, recover. Uh, the government has opened the doors of each and every hotel in that area and providing uh, transport. Yeah. I should also mention this. I mean, this is an area uh, since the Syrian crisis as Humanity First. 
we have been operating and we have been taking care of refugees in this area and obviously refugees uh, are uh, also very much in need because they are in poverty and uh, this is also uh, something that HF is taking care of all that uh, links to the refugees we are uh, working on it and even today uh, we managed to uh, bring out uh, a group of refugees to another city because they couldn't uh, find a place, a shelter. So uh, even though uh, many things are working at the same time, uh, we will have also our posts uh, as the volunteers. And uh, sure. I see United <clears throat> First is yeah. uh, doing whatever it can yeah. to reach the people. So, Mr. Munger, you've described uh, you, you've described uh, very vividly with what's going on, and we thank you for that. Uh, also, I just wanted to bring in Bashir Khan, and also would like to just talk to Malik Shah, who's there with you as well. But the the question he doesn't speak English. Oh, does he? Does he, he not? Okay, English, well, so tell him we from all of us, all of our viewers, we thank him for his effort going there with you to or. You know, putting in the the volunteering work there as well, uh, but she. What I wanted to ask you is that you dwell on the calmness that's there. I mean, people are um, bringing out bodies, and on the off chance, as a miracle, thanks to God Almighty, that we still what the odd person. Um, or child, or because we heard yesterday that a 15-year-old girl was found and pulled out to safety by German rescuers. How is it that people are able to just be calm in this situation? Because we, in these devastations, you see so much chaos. I mean, the opening scenes that were coming out and the pictures we were seeing, it seemed like it was chaos and pandemonium, but you're describing um, something that is very calm people are very patient what are what, what are they doing are, are they praying are they asking because it's a muslim so, so, country right so I think, yeah but this is the thing i think sometimes we have a bit of an orientalist view of turkey and what what i think people you know but turkey you know even though they are muslims uh they are a first world country they are a developed country and they are acting in the same way that we would expect, you know, any a Europe, even a European country maybe to act. We would, you know, <coughs> I think um, we shouldn't compare Turkey to some other part of the world where we have these all pictures of chaos and pandemonium when when disaster hits. Um, I've been like unbelievably impressed by how the authorities conduct themselves, the, the true sense of public service here. Yeah. I was telling one of now we had a meeting with a very very senior or well, the most senior official in a in, in a region yesterday yeah and after the meeting they did not let us leave until they had sat us down and given us lunch i mean these are people who have I mean, these are people who you know they probably you know many of them their own homes were probably being destroyed but they were weren't letting us leave until we yeah. eaten and, and you know we were we were taken care of right. and we, we we thought that we'd come here to look after them yeah. and we ended up it ended up being that they looked after us more than we looked after them so you know, um, and just, you know, it's been really, really easy to cooperate with people here. Good. Everyone's yeah. been willing to accept the help of Humanity First and Alhamdulillah. You know, uh, in just, just, just a short few hours, we've, we've secured uh, 
two sites where we will be providing medical yeah. facilities, inshallah, one site where we will uh, be, uh, one of the sites will also be providing food, hopefully. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask um, you as well. So, you, you know, it's there in the afternoon there yeah. now. So, you know, what would your, what would the be next coming hours be like there for you? So, so we've just come from uh, one uh, a city, a port city, where we have uh, transported a number of Syrian refugees. We, we, we've got them onto uh, a bus, and, and like uh, uh, Mr. Andor explained, they're now going to another city to be to be rehoused. So um, Andor Saab oversaw the coordination of that. So they are now on their way. We then came uh, to another city near the centre where um, we have agreement with the with, with, with the governor here to um, set up a medical facility. So they will have a... They are, they are creating a camp with around 100 huge tents. They are the family-sized tents you'll be used to seeing in disaster zones. So there will be about 100 tents in this camp, which will be housing families of those who can't go back to their homes. And they've asked humanity first to provide the medical facilities yeah. and the food facilities for that camp. So we're in that city now, uh, and we're just sort of scoping the, the location for that. Uh, the other team, uh, so we fit in two, so the other team, which includes our, um, our colleagues from Germany and also a doctor from uh, the UK, yeah. they are at the other site, and they have started uh, started giving sort of medical services down there now. What we're doing now is we're awaiting um, United First Germany. They are, they are sending a team of doctors out mm. in the next 24 to 48 hours, yeah. and they will then take over. So our team is the, was the initial assessment team. Uh, the, 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 the next team will come out and, and relieve us, so we'll be heading home, uh, all of us, in the next day or two. Yeah. And the next team from Germany will, will come out and, and, and take over. And, and how long do you envision sorry, them... And, and, and sorry, sorry, just, uh, it's really important I say this. Yes, That's just the doctors, but in Turkey... The the, the 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 Turkish community um, that, that that is uh, members of the Mali first, they are sort of leading particularly on the logistical efforts. Yeah, that, that that's what I was going to say because as teams come and go, they you, you will probably be on ground zero there for a long time. And what what one of the things that we know about humanity first is whenever they go to a disaster area after all of the humanitarian work that they do, they always leave a legacy behind as well because it just doesn't end there, does it? It carries on. Are you still there? I yeah. may add here yes, uh, please do. maybe one thing. Um, yesterday an incident took place and we were just at the centre of it. You know, it is so important that you treat people with love, affection. And this is basically what is keeping them calm. And we witnessed one incident yesterday. A father has brought his son who came out of the room, but he has broken feet, all bones in the feet broken. Uh, the first medical help was given, but uh, the boy was having immense pain and the guy was crying because uh, he is unable to take his son to the hospital by his own means so i had seen in few minutes ambulance prepared and uh, thanks god we had our doctor there 
and they have given direction. The boy is taken to x-ray and immediate action will be taken. You know, these are the things that you would like to see and that gives you a big relief and self-assurance. Although this is a, I mean, catastrophe which may not occur uh, in 100 years again, yeah. but then this makes people calm. And there are, you know, in this area, this is the last thing that I would like to add. Um, it is it is an area um, which has Christian population as well, which has the Muslim population as well, but you don't, uh, you cannot differentiate between the people because everybody is helping everybody in such a way, in such a uh, simple, honest, loving manner. This is what we would like to Thanks see. You. And so far, where we have been, <clears throat> we have seen that. This is a good thing. And this is in accordance with Humanity First philosophy. This is why yeah. they immediately accepted at the highest level Humanity First services. Yeah, well... That, that's a fantastic story, very moving as well for our listeners. And look, we will continue to uh, talk to you at our other shows that we will carry on. And we wish you, with the grace of Allah and the blessings of Allah, all success and give peace and humanity and resolve the situation there for all the people there. Just like to say thank you very much uh, for all your time, both yourself, um, uh, Mr. Mungard and uh, Bashir Khan. Uh, and we wish you also a safe journey back as well and carry on the great work that Humanity First is doing. Just, just, just as we... Just, is, just before we finish. Yes, please mm-hmm. do. Yes, Bashir. Just before we finish. Sorry, yeah. Okay, can I just uh, encourage all the listeners? Uh, um, we know that you know people back home. Ev- everyone uh, has big hearts, and they and they want to do their bit. And at the moment, the, the best thing they can do is please, please, please donate to the uh, Humanity First appeal. Yeah. Uh, every country, UK, Germany, uh, and the USA, particularly, have their own uh, appeal appeal sites. So please. Uh, donate wherever you can. Yeah, no, Bashir, well said. We were going to mention exactly, that. Uh, yeah, that's we were exactly gonna... <laughs> what I was going to do. So, so for our <laughs> listeners, uh, you know, there's a, that is an important plug, right? So yeah. for, for this is so, so important. And thank you so much uh, for g- giving us your precious time, right? So I don't want to keep you on any longer than necessary. Please, listeners, you've heard the stories. You've heard the, the first-hand accounts and the work that Humanity First are doing. Please visit HFUK dot org and then you'll see a donate link on the site uh, which will take you to donate turkey and syria uh, and that's where you'll be able to donate any amount of money any amount of money to help uh, the and, and support the people of, of, of turkey and syria i just want to switch back to yusuf very quickly and thank you yusuf for waiting so patiently um one of the things that um I wanted to talk to you about was the food banks in the United Kingdom. Now, this was started off, I would say, about four or five years ago. And we now have, I believe, two food banks in the United Kingdom. Could you tell us why the food banks were started and how that's really impacted the local communities? And what are the plans going forward? Yeah, uh, not a problem, Adil. But uh, if I may just take a a couple of seconds out um, in regards to what... uh, Mehmet Ondor and, and Bashir have stated. Yes, um, 
I don't want to understate the plight in terms of what is going on in Turkey, but I do want to remind your listeners and uh, in particular that Syria has also been impacted, and we know the conflict and the yeah. crises for 11 years that have been taking place in Aleppo. Then we had the COVID crisis, and um, the way the uh, impact has also created ramifications in Syria itself. Yeah. It's not as developed as Turkey. There's a huge amount of resilience there from the people because of the long conflicts that are going on and continue to go on. There is, you've probably heard of when when things are hit there infrastructure-wise, there are breakouts of cholera, disease and so forth. Therefore, all of that magnifies the catastrophe of a earthquake that has taken place. So a lot of, lot of people would have seen, um, you know, um, People that are surviving, there was a picture of a young girl protecting her brother and so forth uh, in terms of bringing them out. Yeah. So do please remember that there are two countries that have been hit. Yeah, um, probably a greater right. need in Syria. And, uh, and because the humanitarian corridors uh, in those places are restricted because of the way things are controlled from a government and, and, and uh, non-government perspective, uh, our hearts and prayers go out to those members in Syria where they've been displaced multitude of times, um, have, have either left their homes, are residing in tents uh, and um, accommodation that is temporary or going across to the borders into Turkey and so forth. So uh, please do give openly and generously because there'll be a huge amount of work that will be needed to take place in Syria to sort of rehouse uh, uh, and, and do the uh, infrastructure changes there. Okay, uh, yeah, so that's, that's excellent. You know, we're going reaching right to the top of the hour. But we know that nearly 5.3 million people have been made homeless already in Syria alone, and that's a great shout out there for Syria as well. And as we see, when you donate to Humanity First, the the money is distributed wherever yeah. we can provide that service. Uh, so Absolutely. just just in the I'll last for thirty seconds, yeah, that's what yeah, we're saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm just coming to add all this point. So yeah, we've got two food banks. Uh, one is yeah. in the heart of West Yorkshire. The other one is in Walsall. Everybody would have heard about the crisis from influencers, footballers, and lots of people coming up from governments. That, yeah. um, food security and food poverty is massively high, even in developed countries. Yes, like the UK. Um, as soon as food comes in, it literally goes off the shelves. Uh, my my request is that you know. Uh, you know, whether it's low, middle uh, income so, uh, families um, have been impacted Yusuf, to provide just give food. Me, Yusuf, just give me two seconds. We're, we're going to keep you on after the news um, because news is literally going to come on now and I don't want to cut you off on your full flow because what you're saying is very important. So if you just hang on for about another two minutes if you're okay with that. Yeah, we no just, problem. Uh, awesome, okay. Uh, thank you very much, ladies and uh, gentlemen. For the, we've just been coming up to the top of the hour. It's been completely heart-rendering, heartfelt with the conversations that we've been listening to and we'll carry on our conversation with with Yusuf Atab, who is the director of Humanity First in the UK, and we'll reflect a little bit more. And uh, here you go. Here's the news. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Welcome back and uh, thank you for staying with us on Saturday morning live with uh, Generation X and we've been talking quite a lot uh, about the devastation that's taken place both in Turkey and Syria and we were very fortunate to be speaking to people on the ground and giving us uh, their assessment on the situation and if there's anything that you want to talk about ask questions by all means do so on social media at Voice of Islam UK and obviously pick up that phone on and give us a call on 0208-687-7878 and just before the news we were speaking to Yusuf Oftab who I said was, is the Director of Humanity First UK and Yusuf, thank you very much for staying with us. And you were answering Adil's question about the food banks. Um, I didn't want to uh, cut you short on that because I think it's really important the work that you're doing with the food banks. So just uh, if you can just finish off answering that question for us, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I, I was going to say that um, you know we've in in the heart of where Shorkshire we've yeah. got a food bank, and also in Walsall, um, we we continue to hear in the news and. Um, the overstretched facilities in in terms of all food banks and, and because of energy prices and bills and cost of living rises and food prices that have, have hiked up due to multiple factors, it is key that we continue to provide support to these establishments uh, because they are key to you know such a lot of children that are only getting their meals and families through food banks and, and uh, hot meals at times in terms of what they're able to cook. So th- these are essential parts of communities to be able to help and support. Um, so it's a, it's a call out basically from a funding perspective. Um, anybody that has non-perishable food that is able to drop that off to your local food bank or the humanity first food banks, it's very, very important that as a community, we help each other and support each other in these tough times. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again and other members of the Humanity First. Thanks, Yusuf. Bye for now. No problem. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, that was um, really enlightening. And the stories that Mr. Mohabad explained to us uh, were quite heart-rendering. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for staying with us. Uh, For all of our listeners around the world, we're going to be getting into our next topic, and that is uh, talking a little bit about diversity and inclusion in a global village and what next. And we'll be speaking to our guest um, on that subject, who we'll be looking forward to speaking with our wonderful guest who will be joining us um, sooner than you think. And it's uh, excellent to be able to be speaking with Karith Foster, who has a company called Inversity Solutions, who will be lovely to talk about. And she can talk about anything. And uh, this is a very important subject, uh, both in the light of what we're hearing in the news about people not understanding one another and racism and diversity and inclusion. We were talking a little bit about it before we went on air, weren't we, about all, all of this stuff about inclusion, uh, about how things have changed so much more. Uh, what what are we doing with one another these days and everything else that's happening? Just going to get some more detail in that because it's having a problem in schools as well. And we've got so many influencers out there that probably may not be giving the perfect message that we want them to. But actually, it's an important subject, both in the workplace, both at home, both uh, in public uh, services as well. Right. So we'll just go for a quick short break and then we'll get straight into the subject. Thank you.
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The Alive, the One who is eternally living. Allah is He beside whom there is no God, the living, the self subsisting and all sustaining la ilaha illallah muhammadur rasulullah you're listening to the voice of islam radio broadcasting on dab and via the internet 24 hours a day Welcome back. And yes, I did say that we'll be talking to our guests. So let's just get some introduction into this subject and understand a little bit more. I mean, after recent global geo events, we know that the world is coming together and and especially we understand how people have worked work together in kind of war-torn countries in famine and natural disasters which we were speaking about in the first hour as well but you know as the world is becoming more and more diverse we've become a global village we're seeing each other firsthand and we're understanding each other's um, kind of the way they are the way they behave and their their lovely features and what they're interested in and and how they are very interesting in terms of what they bring to the party, as they say, everyone is diverse. But how do we use that diversity to be inclusive and so that we can benefit from that? I mean, most institutions of diversity define it like as an organisational change and a systematic approach in which a higher education governments, companies and non-profit developed can execute and assess the best practices in order to embed and infuse equity, diversity, inclusion into the fabric and culture of a workplace. I mean, do you work in, in a professional environment? Um, have you got any kind of thoughts of how your workforce is going on? So in, in, in my organisation, it's it's quite it's at the core of its uh, its um ethos of of uh having a very inclusive um working environment because it's it's in the in the mixture of this um i i would say uh, diverse um workforce or colleagues that you would work with that you bring out the best of each other and um and i think it, that has been at the forefront of what the organization I work for, which is IBM. And if you look at the history of IBM, we're, I think we're over 110 years old now. We were at the forefront of uh, inclusive, inclusivity as far as having uh, one of the first female board, board members. We were the first in terms of inclusivity of um, of disability uh, and, and providing support for uh, for those um, uh, for, for those disabled members of, of society, for example. So, um, you know, IBM has, has really been uh, focused on making sure that the environment that we provide for our workforce forces is of um, 
you know, it's it's more it's very inclusive, um, and given the opportunities for them to for all of us to actually excel. Um, but what's really important is to um, sort of shine a light on why we still see um, a lack of uh, a lack of diversity. So even in even in this you know digital age as we call it, um, there has been incre- you know uh, a considerable increase in. Uh, an interest in in the in the general public of trying to understand um, what are the factors responsible for what we continually see a lack of diversity and representation um, across the board uh, and in again in many sectors uh, it has been reported that the interactions between culturally diverse individuals can spur um, economic benefits you know by stimulating you know new ideas as i said uh and 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 again that raises the the urban residents pr- productivity as well um if you look at uh, the uh the other side you know from an islamic point of view the sentiments are echoed in the in the holy quran uh where it states um that oh mankind and i'm, I'm quoting a verse from chapter 49 verse 14 uh, it says, O mankind, we have created you from a male and, and a female, and we have made you into tribes and sub-tribes that you may recognize one another. Verily, the most honorable among you in the sight of Allah is he who is most righteous among you. Surely Allah is all-knowing. So again, you know, these verses really constantly are reminding us that all mankind um to to promote and encourage equity amongst yourselves in your dealings with one another and if that means in the workforce it it's it, you know that that is something that you know we have to bring to our workforce as well uh, in into our working environment as well however you know uh, recent trends show um that due to um obligations of ensuring a diverse reflection of the society is not being fulfilled uh, in all sectors, uh, especially in the corporate um, uh, environment, yeah. in industries, in governments, in educational institutions, and, and in media outlets. I mean, it's really difficult when you try and do diversity and inclusion, especially when it comes to equality. And uh, the, the thing that we kind of understand it is that people want to be treated the way they are. I mean, if you were, say, I do with your children, for example, they're very different in, in what they want, but it doesn't mean you give them the same thing, right? If your daughter wants an education and your son doesn't want an education, you're not going to force him an education. You give him what he wants. It's the same thing. So if someone might have a situation where they need help with, de- with dentistry or someone might want a new bike, you're not going to force a situation or you're going to give them what they want. And that's the key thing when you come to inclusivity. It's how is it that we bring people together based on what they want because in an organization and even in all the services that you have say for example you you want to travel say from uh, Manchester to London how are you going to make those choices are you what what's what are the choices that open to you you may want to go by car but you may want to also go by public transport but you may be able to do both but what is the choice for you but uh, some people can only don't have a car so what is their alternative they have to use the public transport so you need to provide these services for them one of the greatest things about having the diversity and inclusion in organizations is that 
the differences of what they bring to the party means you can think outside the box. And many people are choosing to work for organizations that are inclusive to what they want as an mm. individual as opposed to what what um, is there. Because if you're a, a leader and you are in the top echelons of an organization, how are you going to change that culture, make it more attractive? Because what the biggest issue is, is that retention of staff, right? Mm. People choosing to leave. Why are they choosing to leave? Because they don't see themselves in the organization. Well, they don't feel that they are valued, first yeah. and foremost. So if you look at why people typically leave to find a new job, it could be money or, you know, more often when when you see surveys being done, it's about how they're being made to feel uh, in terms of a valued person within the organization and whether their potential is being tapped. So I think that's a key point in when we start to talk about diversity and inclusion. I think where you see organizations having a more, more diverse culture, um, uh, a more inc inclusive culture, you see um, organizations flourish. You see um, organizations being more successful, both internally as well as externally. And it shows in the results at the end of the day. Um, and you talked about, you know, why, why would people typically leave is that one of the reasons would be that if I'm not being valued for the very reasons I'm looking for to work in an organization to excel, not only myself, but to benefit the organization I'm working for, then at that point, you 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 know, there is a decision, decision being, being made. So therefore, it's, it's, it becomes really incumbent for ourselves at home as well as in our businesses to be diverse in our thinking. And being being inclusive as well to create, as you said, a, a safe environment for us to flourish yeah. and to fulfil our full potential. I think that's the, I think that's the key point in 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 all of this. The one of the things that I also found when you talk about this um, inclusion and diversity is when you have an organisation or even in your own friendship as well, uh, the people that you also um, kind of hang out with or work having a different viewpoints from people and looking at a solution or a problem with these different mindsets creates a better solution to the problem or a quicker one yes. and, and yes. also brings a different uh, approach to it and and one of the things that a lot of people talk about is have a, a conversation or go and have a cup of coffee with someone you've never spoken to or someone from a completely different background and understand exactly what it is that they do. You might find a lot of things in common. And also, a lot, what a lot of people do is that when they're looking for a promotion, they look from their standard pool of people that they're used to pool and they go to uh, an agency that goes and finds their talent pool and they say, well, I can't find anyone from a diverse background. It's because they're using the same old techniques. They need to rethink the way they're doing. They need to have a completely different approach to get that diversity mm. and, and inclusion. And the way... I kind of explained, and I think we, we spoke about this before we came on air, about the easiest way to understand the diversity and inclusion is when we're cooking some food, right? Mm. So the more... Yep. So everyone has all these ingredients in their in their house to cook a lovely Indian curry. But if you, if you imagine all the diversity, all the different flavours, and suddenly you've got 
um, all, all of the choices that you want to make uh, that dish, you're not going to throw everything in there. You're going to throw the right ingredients to make that dish really great. And that's where you inclusive include people into the project that you're doing. But it's important to understand what it is that they bring to the table for you to be able to make that perfect dish or, or solve that perfect problem. That's Absolutely. the way I can answer. I think um, if, I, if I equate that to what I do from a day-to-day perspective, um, so I work for an organization where you know it, you you have pretty much free reign in terms of how you want to define and collaborate and how you want to take a particular initiative forward and one of the things that i've been quite vocal about is i want to have a diverse mix of colleagues uh, in in my in my team and you know we all we we all have a a very flat structure within the organization so you know i want to be able to work in an environment where i want to give equal voice to everyone and not only that but also to create an environment where they can flourish as well and to push them and to encourage them to fulfill their potential i mean that's would be that would be my objective my legacy as you would call it but then what i tend to tend to do is to actually work with much younger colleagues and encourage them to to try and you know look at their potential and how they can fulfill their potential but not only that we're talking about you know we we obviously work in a male dominated uh, uh workforce or or in society as well you can see that it's typically you know, male orientated, but now we're encouraging a lot more of our, uh, a lot more more women to actually join the workforce, as, as especially in tech, especially with the STEM um, um, initiatives that have been launched by by the government as well. And with that, you know, when I t- when I come across young women who are you know who are working in tech it really does it is so refreshing because again as you said these are fresh ideas not only from young people but also from a diverse background that really then helps me to you know having to start to think about ideas that I've never thought about before and it can only help to um it can only help to really um fulfill my objective of being successful in the organization but also for the for the initiative to be be successful and I've already seen a number of these examples taking place and and it's it's kind of quite um how should I put it it's it's a joy to um to to go to work and and work with my colleagues on this um I just want to shine a bit of light on 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 education I know this is a very you know diversity in education is is really a hot topic um there is an uh, an ever growing pressure on at the government level uh, for uh, universities to improve um, levels of diversity uh, in higher education, so that everyone, regardless of you know their background, you know level of affluence or race, in fact, um, you know has the same chance to pursue their educational goals. And I, I again equate this to what I tend to do at my work is to encourage that there is a diverse mixture of 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 colleagues that I'm working with to encourage that um 
the, you know, for them to pursue their uh, objectives yeah. in, in, in their career, but also to to make sure that we have a far greater, I think that you'll have a far greater success by creating a more diverse culture. So, so you think mentoring then is a, is a really good thing then? That's effectively what you're describing there. Exactly. So in mm. in in my work, you know, in my yeah. line of work, there's there's a couple of things that you have to you know be mindful of. One is you know you you're in a professional environment, you are more focused on the objectives that you have to achieve, right? So all of us have. Secondly, it's really important that you have mentors there to guide you from a career perspective. Yeah. So, you know, not only in education, you'll have mentors taking you through. Uh, your, your journey, but then when you go to work, you have the same thing. And I, I have a number of mentors that I tap into from time to time, and and get their point of view as to where they see the world going, and because they see me and my potential, and they could then advise me that perhaps you know this line could be more beneficial for you, and this is how you could achieve it. And that's the kind of thing that um, you know mentors uh, tend to tend to um, yep. provide advice on. on because that's one of the things I, when I speak to a lot of uh, professionals or CEOs in the industry, they take out time every week to go and have a new conversation with someone else. And and what they do is that they might go for their walk in the park or for their kind of coffee break they have. They choose someone that they haven't spoken to before to go and have a conversation with and try and get, get uh, an idea. Because the key thing is, is the culture of the of the organization or even the culture of your friends culture at school you know we need to work out when there's an issue with um racism diversity inclusion where people are made to feel uncomfortable what was done at that moment to resolve the problem i mean we're having incidents in the news recently in surrey where there was an incident of uh, a, a, a fight that that took place with two young girls and and uh, a braiding of a hair was 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 taken out, uh, you know, ripped off. And it was, but there's more investigation going on on that, and people are being uh, taken to task on that. But but what was what will be the action from that school? Will they uh, say, "Oh, we'll look into it"? But will they actually go right to the top? solve the problem, have those conversations with people and, and the children at large to try and eradicate it. It's too... People have these situations. They don't sometimes realise that they're actually being made to feel uncomfortable because it's this subconscious biasness that we haven't spoken about mm. with all of these uh, ideas that we've already formed about. And, 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 you know, you can talk about things like what's the best food that you like or you, you go into a room and suddenly you say, right, let's organise all these people in a certain way. And the first thing you say, well, where do you come from? So let's organise where where you were born. Let's put you put you in that way. That you In this today's society, we shouldn't be doing that. We should be saying, so right, who's interested in this subject, irrespective of where you're from, who you are, what your background is. That's the way you solve these issues. But people mm. don't always realise that that's what they're doing. They assume that someone has turned up who is probably from an Asian background. Okay, let, let, let's let's um, try to understand what he knows about uh, diversity and inclusion, and he may know what he's talking about. And the classic one is we always had that we we joked 
talked about this once before, but obviously this is a serious No, is that whenever you see all the Chinese movies, you assume everybody is like Bruce Lee can 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 is, is a martial arts expert. Uh, many of my Chinese friends are not martial arts experts, but that's the automatic thing that you assume, isn't it? Um, yeah. so, so these are the subconscious biasnesses that we also need to work work on. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you a, an incident. Well, I wouldn't say an incident, but something happened on a call yesterday with my colleagues, and I'm sure they'll chuckle when I say this. <clears throat> Everybody's, um, you know, d- different in terms of how their how their name is being pronounced, right? So we were on the call, and and one of my colleagues said, you know, oh, so how do you pronounce your name? And the true pronunciation, the true pronunciation of my name is Adil. Um, however, in each culture, in each, um, I guess, country, it is pronounced differently. Okay. So does that mean that I should be taking offense to it? I mean, even there was an assen- there was actually a suggestion, jokingly, that, you know, maybe I should be, you know, even reducing my name even further and just calling myself AZ, which is the, sort of the first two letters of my, my name. And I kind of put a stop to it saying, hang on a minute. No, thank you very much. But however, but in their culture and society, it's kind of normal. So so it's it's important for me to understand where they're coming from, where their thinking is, and why they would think it's acceptable to shorten the name even further, um, because it's cool and it's you know it's 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 the done thing in there, or or in another society where, it, from my from my perspective, it's you know I would never shorten my name, or I would like to be called Adil, you know, or or is Adil uh, acceptable, right? So those kind of nuances, and when you start to talk about this, should we be talking about that? You know, should we be going to, to be talking at that level uh, and how being and, it, you know, so when I was talking to my children yesterday, yeah. you know, you talk, you you know, I'll be walking on eggshells all the time. So there's a level of um, there, there's a level of acceptance and there's a level of openness that we need to have on both sides, really, when we start to talk about diversity and inclusion. And when you talk about this subject, you know, you spoke about it um, with your children um, who, who go to school and this is an issue that which we need to be more open um, and talk about this and call out call it out for what it is uh, many people who are uh, living in this country uh, don't necessarily know the history of their own um, background so for example uh, there are many we we have uh, every year you we celebrate black history month and that should be shouldn't just happen once a month it should be part of the curriculum we should talk about the sacrifices and the ma- massive achievements that the black community have made worldwide we should understand all those issue uh, not those issues we should embrace them so people know exactly what where where, who they are where they stand from and obviously the contribution that we spoke about before when we the second world war the contribution of the indian army at that time what what it did and obviously all all of that kind of amazing work that, that took place so it's really important that we understand and, and give people the understanding of who they are and and what they stand for is is really important Absolutely. And I think these are, you know, you, you, I was thinking of exactly the same thing that you just said about, do we know how many um, British Asians, I call them British Asians because they were, uh, they were subjects of, of 
um, of the British Empire. So how many of those, do you know how many Asians, British Asians, died in the Second World War? It's never talked about. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, another thing is if you if you bring it forward to today's age, yeah. you know, we still see the Oscars where you, you still have, um, you, you know, people marginalized. Why is that? Where, um, you know, there has to be, people have to be brought to task. It has to be talked about. That why is there such lack of diversity in the film industry? Why is there such lack of diversity when it comes to awards and, you know, Golden Globes being one of them? Mm. Um, you know, isn't it time that we truly face reality and start to stop talking about diversity and inclusion and acting on it now? Uh, I think those are the things that, for me, are really important, that unless you see those things happening today in society mm. that we deal with on a day-by-day basis, and if we don't create these you know examples that we can aspire to then it will just be talk at the end of the day something that we can aspire to but then you know how do we act on it yeah and also there's another aspect of this isn't there it's like we spoke about the schools but also in other educational establishments at universities as well especially when so many students come from all over the world to study in in the united kingdom and the management of all of that and the understanding of their issues they need also to be a representative of their culture as well and fantastic that uh, we keep improving that scenario and there was some analysis by Green Park and the operations of, of Black Vote, OBV, that revealed that 94% of the vice chancellors from the UK's top 50 universities are white, just 6% are from black, Asian minority ethnic backgrounds uh, in higher education and the diversity of student bodies often led to people believe that the culture is it's not so supportive or inclusive and it kind of translates to that kind of mistaken um, belief in that as well. But but I think what I'd like to do now, we, we've kind of given a really good introduction to the topic already. So what we wanted to do was to talk, uh, bring in our, our first guest on this subject and just trying to speak to... Current uh, Foster, um, Current Foster, look, I, there is a fantastic introduction that we've got and a bio for you, but I think it would be really good if, if you really just introduce yourself uh, because you are a pretty amazing individual uh, where you are a diversity expert and you also introduced something called Inversity. We've been spending the last half an hour talking about diversity and inclusion, but actually you're going to spin it on its head and talk about Inversity. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I, um, I'm so honored to be able to, to speak to this because this is a, a universal conversation that's happening right now. You know, a lot of us like to think, oh, it's just affecting where I live and my community, yeah. but it really is a universal conversation. And the reason I even came up with the term inversity is because after years of watching what has been happening with the diversity efforts, both in academia, both in um, the corporate environment, what I noticed was that a lot of it was set up to divide us further, mm. um, to, to siphon us into groups and into categories, which, you know, I'm not saying we don't have recognition and we don't honor and we don't respect and we don't acknowledge people's different experiences, their ethnicities, their backgrounds, their heritage. 
But what I'm saying is if that is the goal to, to put people into those categories and focus solely on that, then we're going to be in trouble. So hence the birth of inversity, which was, let's take the division out of it. Yeah. Right? Let's still honor and acknowledge, but let's let's shift the focus from what separates and divides us to what do we have in common? How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly and most powerfully, how can we be introspective? You know, understanding your own value and worth so that you can then see it in someone else. And, and that creates the connection within humanity. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about in in the discussion earlier about if you wanted to change the ethos of a corporation or even uh, a reasonably large organization, many people, when they start hiring people, they want to hire people and include people as a reflection of themselves. So suddenly Mm -hmm. over time, they kind of, you end up having uh, an organization that's swung one way, but what you're talking about here is to actually look at it completely different and not hire someone in the way of reflection of yourself, but actually invite other people to the table, right? Absolutely. And the thing is, look, you know, there's, there's numbers, there's data and statistics that back up when an organization is truly diverse, their profits are higher um, because they have more influence of different ideas and cultures and people and, you know, they can reach different markets that they might have never thought of or considered before. You're it's literally expanding your possibilities of success when you promote diversity. And like you said, people, I call it the, I don't call it, it's called affinity bias, right? The probably yeah. the most prolific bias that exists of the implicit and unconscious bias. And affinity bias is when we want to be around people like us. Now, they may be a different ethnicity, but if they have the same education, they went to the same school, we, 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 we feel more comfortable, right? Because there's a familiarity there. And so the idea is, you know, how do we acknowledge that this is something that comes up for every single one of us, right? This type of bias, and how do we get past it? Um, and understand that when we can expand our circles, that's when the true... Um, diversity can happen, the diversity that we can celebrate, the diversity that is inclusive, like truly inclusive. And it's okay to be around someone who you may not have that much in common with, but the reality is once you start speaking, once you start engaging, we do have more in common than we don't. Yeah. I mean, I I wanted to just delve a little bit deeper. You know, you you do say that you're happy to talk about... um, anything in fact you know uh, you you can take the subject to wherever you want to do but you also bring in this very sensitive subject with a bit of humor and empathy and wisdom why is like humor a good thing in in this very sensitive subject so you know it's interesting a lot of people are like how can you how can you bring humor into such an important topic how can you make fun of any i'm not making fun of anything what i'm saying is you know, first of all, humor is cathartic. Humor heals. You know, when we when we look at some of the best comedians that are out there today, they tend to be people who've come from folks who've had pain, who've had a history of pain. In America, it's a lot of black and Jewish comedians. I know in, in, in the UK and Europe, it's a lot of, you know, Indian and Asian comedians that kind of taken the, the scene by storm um, who have a history of, 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 of pain being, you know, part of their culture. And it's not that that's, you were mocking it or, or, 
what we're saying is, if you can laugh at it, you can get through it. That is my motto. Yeah. Um, and if we ha- can have a sense of humor about ourselves, guess what? We can talk. We don't let the pain win. We don't let the the trauma usurp our power. Yeah. And and this is, you know, you, you asked me recently um, in an email before we spoke if I wouldn't mind speaking to the history or lack of history in, in, in schools yeah. about people of color. And I think one of the most tragic things we've done. So in America, we have this February right now is Black History Month. Now, I'm one of the people that thinks we shouldn't have to have a Black History Month. We should have history of Black and Americans incorporated into every part of our history so that there shouldn't have to be one month designated to try to make up for things. Um, and I think that's across the board. It goes for Asian people, for Latino people. Um, it, you know, it's just very unfortunate that those who've written the books uh, and they have been in power for some time um, have chosen not to include all of the history. And when people don't hear their history, this is, this is when they, they think less of themselves. When people yeah. don't understand the greatness that they came from, you know, we, we come from a place of hearing just about the bad stuff, right? Yeah. Just about this trauma, the slavery, the, um, the, 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 the conquerings, whatever. We don't hear about the good stuff. We don't hear about the contributions. And that affects people, on, not just on a mental level uh, or a psychological level, but it's much deeper than that. And it shows up in how people see themselves. I, I can only speak to being a black American and that, you know, I liken it to, to being adopted. If anyone has ever been adopted, you wonder where you came from. You wonder who your family is, regardless of your, yeah. your color or ethnicity. Um, and that's what it's like to be a black American. Like you, you, your history, you don't really have. You can't, um, you can't really, you know, go back but so far if you're interested in learning who you are. And, and that leaves a little bit of a hole in your soul, if you will. So you make it up, right? And you make it up with other things within your culture. Um, and, and then you find out, as we are now, that there's so much more. There's so much more we haven't been told. And so I get why people are angry. I get why people want to feel vindicated sometimes. But I, I think that there's a certain way to go about it that doesn't overcorrect, if you will, that doesn't um, do the exact same thing that has been done to us to another group of people. Like, we can reach a place where we can, we can, we can see one another as equal human beings. That's right. Um, but right now it's very, very challenging, and there are a lot of people's philosophies who um, they, they can't do that. There's also a celebration sometimes in being a victim, and, and, and you know, because with, within that space, you don't have to take responsibility for yourself. You don't have to own hmm. what you could be doing. You can blame someone else. Sure. And I think that's an unfortunate part. Of, of what is happening right yeah. now as well, because that's disempowering. It's truly disempowering, and and we are too. We're so much better than that. So you you make a a, a really it's idle here. So so thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you make some really good points, and I was smiling as you were saying all those things. Uh, one of the things that came to mind as you were talking was was healing through humor. You know, so I gave it. I don't know if you heard me talk about <clears throat> sort of a, a, a something that happened during my uh, whilst working yesterday. Uh, there was comments about, you know, how my name is pronounced and, you know, should I be taking offense mm-hmm. to it? I should be more embrace. You know, I'm embracing the fact that, 
somebody had suggested how is my name pronounced because they wanted to pronounce it correctly and wanted to understand even yeah. though we had similar cultural backgrounds and but then you know if you look at the way uh, and in fact I was talking to there were uh, some of my american colleagues on the on the call and they they decided that it would be great if i shortened my name completely to 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 two initials which i i chuckled at because Are you kidding? <laughs> so, so, but i i understood i understood where they were coming from because they didn't want me sure. to be offended by mispronouncing my name but sure. then they decided you know what we'll just, we'll just shrink your name to two initials and i kind of put a stop to it that's with humor funny, right but that's also being lazy that's lazy yeah, and yeah. yes good for you Ex- good and that's you. exactly what i and said you know what you say yeah and that's when you turn the tables and you say, you know what, I'm just going to call you <laughs> it or something. You know what I mean? Like, so my name is Karis, obviously. Karis is not a very common name. Um, it's not very difficult to pronounce. It's it's six letters. That's it. But people choose to put the accent in different parts of the name. And I'll, I'll, I'll make jokes. I'll say it's like, you know, carrot with a lisp. Or it's like Karen and Meredith put together. And mm. then inevitably... And these people will call me Karif. And I'm like, I mean, Karadith, Karadith. I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? So, you know, so, I mean, my joke is so long as it's spelled right on the check. But when it's done intentionally, and I think that's something we need to also look out for. What what are people's intentions? Like, truly, is their intention to to be dismissive? Is their intention not to pay attention because they don't care, Hmm. because they don't value you? Or is, I mean, listen, I could say the same. I have... Literally, I have a couple friends named Mark and Matt, and I will often juxtapose the two and call one Mark and the other Matt. And they don't look alike, but it's just, a, you know what I mean? So it's like kind of the way the the mind works yeah. sometimes. Um, and so this is, you know, I, I, when you got to see me speak, I spoke a little bit about grace and having grace with one another and, you know, understanding, being forgiving sometimes. And, and again, what is someone's intention? Are they intentionally going out of their way to be dismissive and to be rude? Or is it an honest mistake? Because, you know what, after a couple of times of explaining your name, if they can't get it, then that they clearly aren't putting the effort in. And I totally agree with you that and this whole idea of compassion and grace uh, is, is being lost. Um, and this is why we're seeing people unable to appreciate the skill set of people and this challenge of inclusivity and this unconscious biasness that that steps in. Um, I wanted to just, uh, we have time, so we're good, but I wanted to also Mm -hmm. just uh, talk to you a little bit about the challenges that you face because there's a reason why you have now become an expert and you've understood this diversity, inclusion and equality so well that you're able to uh, flip it on its head and talk about adversity. So what what have been the challenges in in your life? Uh, Could you give an example as to why you have um, this? Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So, you know, I grew up in a place called Plano, Texas, that really wasn't diverse at all. Um, In fact, I was essentially the only person of color in my classes from the time I was about uh, eight years old, even until my first year at uni. And, um, you know, I, I, I share that while some people might be like, what, how, how did you survive that? How did you, mm. that was my normal. I didn't know any different, right? And I think about how many of us come from that prism of normal, whether we came from an incredibly diverse place or we came from a place that was very homogeneous. And then when that 
prism has to shift when our environment changes, whether we're introduced to new people, new religions, new ethnicities, mm-hmm. uh, someone who may have a, a, a different um, sexuality than we are accustomed to. Like there are things that come up that you're like, okay, wait a second. Am I going to be stuck in my old ways and, and, and not be able to have a relationship with this person because I don't know how to, or is that my prism of normal is it going to shift? That doesn't mean my belief system has to shift. That doesn't mean I have to agree with who they are, yeah. what their lifestyle is, but can I learn to be respectful and see them as a fellow human being so that we can be productive together, especially if it's a, in a work environment. So, you know, I also am someone who is in a, um, a bio, you know, interracial relationship. My husband is from Australia. He's white. Yeah. My children are biracial. Um, you know, and I, I lived in New York City for over 20 years. So that was like heaven for me, going from a place that had no, very little diversity Amazing. to Manhattan. Um, you know, it was like a complete flip of the switch. And I loved it. I loved being on the subway or the tube and hearing different languages and yeah. seeing different shades of people. It was just like, you know, it was like, I don't know what the equivalent of Sesame Street is in the UK. <laughs> You know, we we have... uh, Like the children's program with the different colored Muppets. (laughs) Yeah, we we, we grew up on so many. I mean, my age, I grew up on um, Teletubbies, but that's completely changed altogether. Now, my granddaughter (laughs) completely has a a, a completely different way of growing up on on children's programs, and it it is very diverse. It's like watching a a, a feature-length cartoon animation is what she grows up on. Right. And it's just changed right. completely. But I, I wanted to also delve a little bit deeper, if you can allow me, especially you've got some real good experience on this. Um, a little bit about people like who emigrate. Obviously, you moved from Texas to Manhattan and New York. So you saw the very mm-hmm. strong cultural differences. And But we... Many of us uh, who grew up, especially from an Asian community, when our parents came to the UK, Mm -hmm. for example, uh, from, say, India, Pakistan and West Africa, East Africa, we kind of Mm -hmm. had this dual identity. And this hybridity that we spoke about of old cultures and new cultures that then Mm. we would grow up, start mimicking the kind of cultures that we saw here and maybe it kind of conflicted with our own cultural and religious beliefs Mm -hmm. but do you think this mimicking sometimes is a good or bad thing because there are good and bad in everything right absolutely you know there's a light side and there's a shadow side right Mm. and i remember over gosh i'm dating myself but many 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 years ago i i studied at oxford university and I remember hanging out at my pub and being just just shocked at the classism where America was dealing with racism as a, at the forefront the classism in Britain yeah. and but they said but there is a little bit of there is some racism with the Asian people and I'm like well why is that and they're like well when people come over from Pakistan and from India and they they don't want to hang out at the pubs with us they don't want to they don't want to join us they don't want to be part of it and it was almost as if they were hurt, the, the Brits, right? They were hurt <laughs> that you'd come over, and but you, didn't, you wanted to keep your own culture. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, of course, very fascinating that the only reason for, you know, <laughs> Pakistanis and Indian people came over is the Brits went over there first. 
and 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 mess some stuff up. <laughs> and you serve, you know what I mean. And so yeah. it's like the irony, right? In the in the the almost the complaints. But I think you know, it, I, I and I can only liken it to someone who might be very religious, Christian religious, and then goes to a place where, like New York City, where yeah. you know it may not have that overtone. And how do you keep your values intact yeah. and still assimilate? And I think it's a challenge. I mean. I can't even imagine having to live in two worlds. I mean, well, I can because I feel like I was I was caught between two worlds yeah. growing up. You know, I was told I wasn't black enough, but I wasn't white either. And yeah. so, where do, where do you fit? Where do you belong? Right. So you almost have to create your own space. Yeah. Right. And and that's where I really came into my own as Karis. Yeah. Great. I mean, I, I wanted. I, I sent you a kind of extract, um, didn't I, in in, mm-hmm. in our email exchanges, and and I'll read it out. And I just wanted to, what your thoughts of this? This was um, an extract from the Holy Prophet Muhammad, my peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And he kind of stressed some thoughts uh, in in the following way, and it kind of leads into what you know when I look at your inversity of. Um, your kind of business that you're doing Um, and it kind of really reflected on that as well so he said he said you are brothers and sisters you are all equal no matter to which nation or tribe you belong and no matter what your status is you are all equal just as the fingers of both hands are alike nobody can claim that they have any distinctive right or greatness over another the the command which I give you today is not just for today, but it's forever. Always remember to keep acting upon it until you return to your true master. And this is something that is still true today, right? We're seeing uh, of it and, and uh, everything about what you've spoken about. It's about inclusivity, about also looking, reflecting on yourself and seeing what what, what what's good about you so you can express that because we are all the same, right? We are. That's that's you know. I think that's the greatest tragedy that yeah. has been brought into today's world is this this belief, this thought that we we aren't part of. We don't come from the same source. So let me tell you, when I I, I lecture at Stanford University at their Graduate School of Business, and there was a gentleman the last time I was there, who um. Was, he was a, a, a biologist. He actually was a um, adjunct professor in biology, and he was giving a course on uh, gene editing, right? right. DNA yeah. uh, editing and CRISPR, which can be quite controversial because you're talking about you know creating uh, technology that could totally eviscerate a horrible disease like sickle cell anemia or making designer babies. So you know, there's very little. <laughs> there's Blue a lot eyes. that it could you know. <laughs> Good, but yeah, you're right. But one of the things I say to ask, because I was fascinated, I'm like, here's the expert. I said, you know, I work in a field of diversity and inclusion. I said, how, how close are we genetically to one another? Um, and because I, I wanted a number, I wanted a percentage to be able to take back to my audiences. Yeah. And he says, oh, Karis, he goes, we as human beings are 99.99986% the same. I said, so wait a second, we're fighting over four ten thousandths of a percentage point? Because in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, that's, you know, hair color, melanin yeah. content, hair texture, eye color, yeah. you know, features. He's like, no, that's not even that. 
that four ten thousandths of a percentage point is like chromosomal. Like when someone has a, a, a chromosomal anomaly like Down syndrome versus someone who doesn't. That's where those differences lie. Yeah. We are more alike, even genetically, than we can believe. And so this lie that's been perpetrated upon us, that's been set up by people who, yes, want to have power, and the only way they can do it is to make other people feel less than for whatever. Um, it, it, it's sick. It's disgusting. And we need yeah. to no longer buy into that narrative. And by we, I mean everyone. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, just before we let you go, I really appreciate your time and uh, everything in, in your insight. And I know you own, you were very modest in your experience of what you've been through in, in your life. And first of all, I'd like to thank you on that as well. But there is this other question that I wanted to ask you as well, is that when the, the most frequently question I get asked, and I discuss this with Adil as well, is that, you know, when you go into a new environment, the first thing that someone always says to you, hey, you know, where are you from? I mean, and I, yeah. and I heard you speak <laughs> once before, and, and you said, does that imply that you're not welcome? I mean, should we be taking offense to that question? You know, my always my go-to is, if you know, read 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 the room, as they say, read the room. Um, how how are they saying that? Do they have a smile on their face? Um, what did their energy feel like? Because you can tell a lot. Ninety yeah. percent of communication isn't even verbal, right? So there are times when someone is asking, "Where are you from?" Because they hear an accent, or they have a friend who might be from there, or they're you know they're trying to just start a conversation innocently, yeah. right? Now there are, and there can be times when it's, "Do you belong here?" And you have to make that distinction. Now, what you can do if you're not sure is you can say, well, why do you ask? And let them, let the onus be on them to tell you where that came from. Because then they might be able to explain it very clearly. Um, or they might, you know, have to take a step back and realize that, oh, what I just said really didn't come out the way it should have. Or, yeah, I was being a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's... But that, I think we look to be offended right now, a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like, you know, read the room, right, and you know, have that conversation and understand and, and, and know where you where you are. And, and sometimes people just become too thick-skinned, and sometimes they forget that, actually, no, that was a, a racist comment. I should have called it out. And then you walk away from that situation, and on your way home or you you're, you start reflecting, you say... Actually, what they said right, or what right. was said was right out of order. And I wish I had the gall or the right. strength to, to point it out there and then. And we tend to forget that, don't we, sometimes? We do. We do. We, we, we oscillate between the two extremes, right? Either being yeah. too thick-skinned, where we just we let it go, when we should have said something. But we usually know. I mean, we know in our hearts and in our guts yeah. when something wasn't right. Yeah. But we might be too shocked to say something at the moment. And sometimes we're a little too thin-skinned yeah. because we take something completely out of context that wasn't intended. But this is exactly why we can't cancel one another out. This is exactly why we should encourage communication and encourage people to speak to one another and not live in fear. Um, because, you know what, if we don't talk, we can't come together. Yeah, got it. Well, listen, um, Carith, 
I really appreciate your time. And, and I'm looking at Adol over here in the studio. He's just nodding his head and he's just smiling. And, it's, it's just like, it is, and I'm sure our audiences listening around the world will really thank you also for throwing some massive insight into this subject. And, and I'm sure we'll have you on again when we talk about this subject because uh, although I agree with you, we don't necessarily need to have a Black History Month every month and only you know 30 days in 365 days of the year. It should be there integral to our everyday life. So thank you very much for your time today, Carrie Foster. Thank you. Thank what you very much for joining the show. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you very much. So what what a fantastic conversation, right? Carith Foster is is pretty amazing, and and when she talks about um, someone wrote this about Carith um, Foster, who's a lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business, and and this has come come across in our conversation. She she says that Carith um, is able to talk about these tough topics with humor, empathy, and wisdom, and through her humor, she has the audience raising their hands, nodding their heads, and sharing their own experiences, and she always creates a safe space she is inspirational and empowering so we wish her the best of luck don't we oh, absolutely and um and i think we've had a a packed show t- yeah. today i mean we started off with uh let's do a quick recap you know we started yeah, off ahead. with the news and you know quickly went into what's happening in the world today including not only the energy crisis but also what's happening uh in turkey and syria and especially at home as well the impact of um of our um uh, food banks. Yeah. And then we quickly went into talking to Yusuf Aftar, the director of Humanity First. Uh, and then we, you know, went live across to Turkey where we talked to th- uh, two of our colleagues on the ground, um, uh, Onkar and, and, and Bashir and Mehmet, I think it was the other name. I, I forget. Um, yep. And really giving us the, the, the lay of the land as to what the challenges they're facing and what help they need. So again, uh, you know, for, for those of you uh, who've uh, who've listened to us today, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, and of course, at the end, you know, we had uh, we had an esteemed speaker uh, t- talking about diversity, and I have a grin on my face because it just, it, you know, having the courage to talk about those things, you think about it, but then having the courage to talk about those things and then acknowledge and think, well, you know what? Yeah, that really makes sense. Is 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 something that I really appreciate. Um, and and Hanif, over yeah, to you. no, thank you very much, and you know, um, thanks for joining us and uh, enjoying our conversation. And remember, you can listen to the show back again on SoundCloud, and also if you want to tweet in further after the show, you can always get in touch with us on zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Here's the news.